Hello, pod people, duck hunt, and welcome to the IGN UK podcast. My name is Chris Tilly, and I am here with Daniel. Hello. And Gav. Hello. And today we're going to talk about 2015 and the very best movies that we saw, some of the disappointments. We'll look ahead briefly to mm-hmm. 2016. Yeah. And we're going to talk about some genre stuff that we saw, including our favourite horrors and spy movies and this and that. Yeah. But we're going to kick off by each... We're going to go around the table and pick a favourite. So, Gav, do you want to do the first one? Okay, yeah. I think top of my list, uh, got to be Whiplash. I, I don't think I had... I've experienced anything like that for a while in the cinema. And just... It was just such a small story, but done in an amazing way. Um, just like this, so this battle between like two massive characters. And uh, it's just really, really hard to watch in places. But I think like some of the best action scenes of the year are the drumming scenes, especially the scene right at the end. I thought that was just absolutely bonkers. But just like a really, really good sort of like character study as well, because you, you, you go on this like really small journey, but at the same time, a really, really good journey with these two characters. It's probably over the top, but I just really, really enjoyed it. I think that's the best thing about it is those two central performances, two yeah. huge performances, like mm. J.K. Simmons and also Miles Teller, who had very limited drumming experience before making that yeah. movie and went into an intensive regime to basically play this preternaturally gifted kid. Yeah. He's like one of the best drummers in America. Yeah. And in the movie, he does feel like he is. Yeah. After a very short amount of training. He's really good, Which yeah. I get that good at something in a small amount of time. Love story between two guys? Yeah, I think so, in a mm. way. That's a reading that you could... Mm. That's a queer reading you could um, put on it. Yeah. Mm. I, I mean, I think just that bit at the... Um, are we going to talk about spoilers or... Yeah. But there's a, there's a bit... There's I think, a, yeah, I think we should say, in yeah. general, for the whole podcast, it's very hard to talk about these movies without going in. We're not going to yeah. go out of our way to spoil surprises, but, yeah. you know, they might just come out. Yeah. I think the, the turn-in right at the end where J.K. Simmons, like, you think he's really screwed him over. Uh, well, he has, he has screwed him over. He's got him on stage uh, in front of all these people to play and he's given him the wrong sheets and got him to learn, got him to come out and play the wrong music. But then Miles Teller goes out of his way to actually do a really, really good job. He does this bonkers solo. And just the turning point between these two characters where they absolutely, like, like they hate each other, then they kind of like each other, and then they have a respect for each other, and then they absolutely hate each other in front of everyone. And just through the sort of respect for drumming, they like each other again. I don't know. Like that kind of turn where J.K. Simmons is kind of back on his sides and actually realizes, hang on, this dude is really, really good at drumming here and kind of like has a little bit more respect for him. And then they start going back into when he actually starts conducting him again. I don't know. That's for me, that was one of my favorite bits of anything I saw. I also think it spawned one of the best catchphrases of the year. Not to reduce it to a catchphrase, mm. this um, <laughs> Oscar winning film. Did we win any Oscars? J.K. Yeah, Simmons won, yeah. yeah. Um, not my tempo. Yeah, not quite my tempo. No, it was cool because it was a drama shot and played like a thriller. Yeah. Which made it so interesting that you could create that much tension from a film about drumming. It just yeah. It was so unexpected, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah. Really good. Uh, Maybe my favourite film of the year as well. Yeah. Obviously, some of these films came out in the States last year. Right, okay, yeah. So, yeah, so we should say as well, we're going just based on UK, UK release dates as well. And so, we, yeah, we're each picking five. So, uh, Dan, do you want to have your first? Yeah, I'm going to go for a similar kind of like nuanced, um, performance-driven <laughs> movie in the form of Jurassic World. Um, <laughs> well, the Indominus, f- did, Indominus Rex did deliver quite the performance. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought the original, considering um, the original T-Rex, not not many roles for old women in Hollywood yeah. and there's the T-Rex coming back yeah. so on this podcast if you've listened to it before I've always professed my love for Jurassic Park and it's one of the great action blockbusters you literally wearing a Jurassic World t-shirt 
Yeah, well, <laughs> what's not wrong to with give that? anything. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Um, obviously, um, yeah. So, love Jurassic Park. I think it's one of the great blockbusters. Sequels ain't so great, um, and I think that will be a problem for the series going forward. Mm. But I thought they came back. College of Horror only really directs safety, not guaranteed. Um, I thought they just made a f- movie that was a lot of fun, and it kind of, obviously, nowhere close to the original, but it got close because the time had passed in real world terms mm. they could, could have effectively the movie does the first film again mm. but with yeah. much higher stakes and goes a bit crazy so it's still a story of mad scientists yeah. it's still a story of um, it's also now a story of almost kind of passing comment on the blockbuster itself because there's a line saying we still need to get these audiences in every year through the gates what do yeah. we do uh, let's just mix it up and give them something new and it's yeah. that's kind of what the movie is as well so it's kind of having fun with that I think Chris Pratt's a really good lead in it it obviously is not without flaws but I thought it was really fun and I thought it could have been a bit of a disaster yeah. I think there's already a sequel confirmed it is the high, currently the highest grossing film of the year which I don't think I predicted as much as I thought it'd do well. And they already have a sequel penciled in for 22nd of June, um, 2018. Now I do think they'll fall, um, stumble um, where to go next. I just don't know how you do that again. I think it was almost really lucky that they could do so closely ape the form of the original. Yeah. What set up next? Pursuing like the military, like the militarized um, dinosaurs. I don't think that's, that intriguing or exciting? Yeah, I like I, I saw in the cinema. And I have like in the cinema. Uh, I thought it was brilliant. I came out having a really big laugh. Um, I watched it again on DVD. Oh, I don't think I like it. But I, th- well, I would argue that's yeah. like, that's what it is. Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's a summer blockbuster movie you see in the cinema. Yeah. You like it, and I don't. You know, Jurassic Park is the exception. Like it's yeah. a movie that's brilliant, and it's one of those special blockbusters. Definitely, yeah. Um, I've seen it a couple of times. I still enjoy it. I think it's mm. got some really fun sequences. Not all of it holds together. Yeah. I think the bad guys are particularly weak. I, th- um, I think just some- the thing that we've talked about a lot of the time, I think the thing that absolutely wrecks it for me is just the way that they have Claire and Chris Pratt, like, character. Like, the, those, the way that they... There's just that one bit, horrible, horrible bit, where she saves Chris Pratt from the pterodactyl, and two seconds later, the guy, the little kids are like their hero is Chris Pratt. And it's like, you've just watched her save him. Why isn't she your hero? Why yeah. is he your it's hero? The, it's the line that's been uh, line in the movie, yeah. Yeah, but it, it was good in the cinema. And what was your favourite sequence in it? I think my favourite sequence is, it's actually quite, what I like about it is also it's quite scary because when I saw Jurassic Park for the first time when I was seven, I remember hiding my eyes three times, like just turning to my mum. Because it was like, don't want to see it, but kind of want to see it, so I have yeah. one eye open. And then there's several of those moments in it, especially with the uh, Mosasaurus. Yeah. But I think the best sequence is when she summons the T-Rex because they keep it back as a secret mm. weapon. And mm. then to see the T-Rex come out, the same T-Rex, and get the John Williams score. Yeah. It's a pretty cool moment for Great. what is my favourite film. Good, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, I'm going to kick off with a film that came out in the States in 2014 and didn't get here till about April, but it's John Wick, <clears throat> which is... That just kind of came out of nowhere. I saw the very first screening of that anywhere in the world, which was at Fantastic Fest, and yeah. Keanu Reeves was there with the directors and really had no expectations for it apart from uh, liking the trailer and knowing it was about a guy killing people because they'd killed his dog, which sounded like it a setup that could be brilliant or terrible. Yeah. And it turns out it was brilliant. Like I just thought 
that pushed every button I needed an action film like that to push. It was made by people who kind of get it. They get the ridiculousness of Keanu Reeves and the situation that they're putting up on screen, but yet they don't... It's kind of gently tongue-in-cheek, but you could you could read it either way. You could take it seriously or you could just kind of laugh at it, but they're yeah. kind of laughing with you yeah. throughout the film. And they're stunt coordinators, the directors and writers, they're stunt coordinators who work with Keanu right back on The Matrix and they've spent a lot of time trying to develop a film with him. They know exactly what he's capable of. They know what makes him look cool on screen, like the way he uses his body. Um, and I just felt like it all worked together just to make a film that was really, really good fun, horribly yeah. violent, uh, but also set up a really cool mythology, like the hotel and the people that come and go yeah. there. Because what I like about it is like the central premise is very low concept. Yeah. Revenge. Yeah. But they put him in a world that actually has more about it than you initially suspect. Mm. There's this, like you say, the small, like the mythology of the hotel and the yeah. rules and the regulations. Based on, based on Greek, myth- Greek mythology, actually, all that is yeah. as well. So it, 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 it's one of those films where I walked out of it and my immediate thought was, A, I want to see that again now. And B, I need a sequel to that yeah. tomorrow. And that rarely happens that I, w- I want to turn around and watch a film again. Yeah. So... I don't know. Do you guys like that one? Yeah, I like see it. it. That's the one it, on this list it. I haven't seen. Ah, if nothing okay, else, yeah. I like it because it gave me the phrase gun fu. Gun fu. <laughs> <laughs> no, th- those sequences are brilliant. And you're right, like, you get some fairly slagged off, I think, um, Keanu Reeves. Mm. But one of the great things he has as an actor is um, his body and his discipline to, mm. like, rehearsal. Yeah. Like, if you watch any of the Matrix making of documentaries, he had so many stu- like um, kind of routines to learn, yeah. and the amount of commitment he has as an actor to do that sort of stuff well is great. And I think John Wick shows it off yet again. I think the less you give him to say, the better he yeah. is. He's he got, looks awesome. He's got this presence, yeah. and yeah. like he can he can walk away from an explosion really well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it, when, when you see the film, that, that yeah. happens all the time in the film, and it just you're just thinking, yeah, man, that's really cool. He's a badass. You know, like, when yeah. I see scenes in movies where someone walks away from the explosion, yeah. I get really stressed out because I feel like if they took, if it was me, obviously I'd just turn around, and go, oh, what the. F-? And that was really shot. They wouldn't be able to reset it. Inspector, there's an absolutely ridiculous one where everything blows up in Blofeld's base. Oh, right, yeah, yeah. And it looks like they did it practically, Mm. and it looked like they were in front of it. It's like, what if you sneezed? What if Daniel Craig sneezed at that moment? Go, come can't reset that. Yeah. Anyway, I just get stressed out watching (laughs) that. Cool. On to your second choice, Gav. I'm going to go Ex Machina. Um, as again, this is the film I think was pretty much in all of our top tens that we whittled down to five. Um, and it's just a, like a really, really good sort of like, again, like a close film, like three people basically in it um, about just uh, just like basically it's like two different people on different kinds of like wavelengths. One, um, Oscar Isaac, like, you know, another Star Wars person as well as Donald Gleason. Just like Donald Gleason wins a competition, has to go to this like almost like a Bond villains like layer, and uh, Oscar Isaac has been messing around with AI. Uh, it's just uh, introduces him to the AI sort of robot that he's made, and I think like I didn't really know what to expect going into it, but it's you know it's a really really good sort of just really quiet drama and just like puts these characters in a really really sort of like claustrophobic com- uh, like situation with each other, and yeah, like you come out of it kind of it's a really nasty film I think towards the end like you sort of you go along with them because you because it's just those people on screen because you go along with them for this amount of time it's kind of hard to watch by the end but yeah I just really really liked it but bloody intense film it's really intense yeah but it does have one of the best scenes of the year as well which is Oscar Isaac dancing 
um, which I just think is fantastic. So we had our Alex Garland in earlier yeah. to talk about the movie, didn't we, Chris? Mm. He's a really smart guy, mm. and it's cool to see him being given the director's chair and be able to make a really smart movie. Yeah. Um, that doesn't feel like it was that diluted. Yeah, we had him on the podcast, and like we talked about it afterwards. It was a really funny podcast because it seemed like... I don't know, he was agreeing, but also disagreeing with every single thing that you guys said. Mm. <laughs> he likes um, <laughs> the way that you word a question. Like, De- delightfully spiky is how one commenter yeah. puts it. And I, I would agree. But, um, I, I would say it's less delightful when you're impaled upon said spike. <laughs> it was really funny to watch though, because... Are you talking you, about when you talked about Star Wars? That didn't, go, that didn't go well. But there was also like, <laughs> it was like, like, like I, I, I was, I was like <laughs> watching it from the gallery, and there was just like there was so many bits where, like Chris was just absolutely like agreeing with him, and then he would just go, "Well, no, actually," and then just like start this like almost like half argument. It was brilliant to watch. Um, you it was, it was like that. Ex Machina. You go back and watch it. Um, He's awesome though. We are yeah. we are big fans, and yeah. um, it just won at the British Independent Film Awards. It won like director and film. Yeah. Um, what I liked about it is the first time I watched it, I was kind of um, unsure of who the villain was and who the hero was. And mm. it, it, Oscar Isaac seemed like the bad guy. And then, you know, then the stuff that she does at the end made me think, oh, I'm not sure about her. And then yeah. watch the film a second time. I'm like, oh, actually, it's Donald Gleeson. I'm not really liking this time. Yeah. Like, Oscar Isaac's spoken the truth all the way tr- all the way through. And actually, she maybe she's the hero of this piece. Like, she's the one, that, she's the victim. Uh, not hit, not Donald Gleeson, and it was just—it was really good the way it got. It really made me think. Yeah, and it sparked, that maybe, it no. sparked quite a few conversations mm. with people afterwards, um, and that's really really good writing. Like yeah. it's, it's multi-layered, and 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 so many of those conversations you read one way the first time you watch it, and then read a different way the second time. So yeah. I like a film like that that kind of rewards multiple yeah. viewings. Well, it's a really really good like mystery thriller as well because like there's so much weird stuff going on, and all the time you're thinking, is it like what Donald Gleeson seen you think is he seeing that on purpose like is you know Oscar Isaac like sort of baiting him the entire way and like because another couple of times like the sort of he thinks he's seeing things that he shouldn't be seeing but I think uh, when you watch it again you think oh no Oscar Isaac's controlling every single step of the way from like the moment he steps in through the door or pretty much before that like he has complete control over Donald Gleeson it's like really really good to watch I really like that Cool. Uh, Dan, ne- your next choice? Yeah, I think the next one that I'll go for another one of um, the biggies is Ant-Man. Okay. So um, we cover a lot of the Marvel movies week to week here at IGN, and I felt like this one is the one that lots of people thought was going to be a bit of a flop. Yeah. Uh, mainly because of its troubled um, production history. So yeah. that this movie's been floating about for a long time. I was reading yeah. just before coming into this podcast. At one point, Howard Stern's tried to buy the rights to it. Really? Yeah, way back. So um, Cornish and Wright came on in 2003 and they were working on it for a long, long time and Kevin Feige kept saying, it's getting close. We're going to be yeah. going to production soon. Finally, this year, they said they were going to go in production on August 18, 2014. But on May 23rd, Marvel and Wright parted way so there's this like crazy succession of events where Adam McKay came on board on May 30th um, director hired on June 7th they rewrote the script Adam McKay with Paul Rudd yeah. and they still made that August 18th shoot date mm. and you know that's not a good way to go into a film you would think no and we you know people don't know why Wright left you know the suggestions that he didn't want to incorporate elements like you have to do in a lot of these Marvel movies to kind of join them up with the wider universe yeah and the movie came out, and yeah, 
It was the second lowest opening debut of a Marvel movie after Incredible Hulk, but it was still a number one movie. Yeah. Like, you can't ignore that. It's still a number one movie. It's 12th successive number one movie for Marvel. Yeah. That's nothing to be sniffed at. Yeah. And I just think the story's really cool because it's gone on to take pretty, you know, it's taken over $500 million. Um, it's quite cool. I looked it up. In terms of um, domestic US box office, it beats San Andreas, The Good Dinosaur, Mad Max, and Fifty Shades of Grey. And I think to cap it off, what is kind of how it's done really well is on October they announced that it's going to get its own sequel. Yeah. Which I think beginning of the year, no one would have really tipped that as happening. No. No. So I think it's, yeah, and also it's like a focus on the movie itself rather than the like stuff surrounding it. Yeah. We went to see it and I thought it was so much fun. It's so really it was, good fun, yeah. I thought it was like refreshingly small scale after the Avengers, mm. where the Avengers tried to like work in groundwork for Black Panther. This pretty much just focused on a new set of characters. It was really funny, yeah. um, smartly directed, had a really good pace. Yeah. And just really interesting action sequences as well. I love seeing a hero fight a villain inside a briefcase. Yeah while they press the phone and that triggers the, <laughs> the music for the scene. That's yeah. really cool. I've not seen that before. Um, yeah, so I really loved that, man. Yeah, it was really good. I think, like, for me, Avengers Age of Ultimate was a bit of a letdown. I was kind of just a bit bored with that. And I think a lot of people kind of are starting to feel that way now, which is, like, all the films seem like they're doing the same thing. But this, like, completely looks different. Like, it feels different. Just, uh, I think, yeah, a couple of the scenes, the, the Michael Penner scenes where he's relaying like like information yeah. and it's all like matched up, like synced up with their lips. I think it's just amazing. He's I definitely one of the best supporting yeah. characters of the year. Yeah, he's like, really he steals every scene yeah. he's in. Uh, um, yeah, and I think they set up loads of cool stuff about fathers and their daughters. There's yeah. a giant ant running around like a dog. Yeah. There's Thomas the Tank Engine crashing through a window. Like, there's lots of cool, interesting stuff in that movie. Yeah, I felt I felt sadder when Anthony died than I did when any other anything has happened in other Marvel films. And I, I thought Michael Douglas is a great addition to the Marvel universe, oh, playing yeah, a really yeah. like bad-tempered Hank Pym. Yeah. <laughs> And it's going to be great to see him joining the Avengers. Yeah, man. Like I think Paul Rudd interacting with those guys is going to be really good. It's a really fun thing to watch. Yeah, I yeah. think because his sort of the way that he talks and his sort of comedy is a lot <coughs> different to the Avengers stuff. Like he's, I don't find him that smug to watch. Whereas like Robert Downey Jr., he's like super confident, uh, and that's where his comedy come from. Yeah, I whereas think Paul Rudd's not like that. He at could all. be a really good foil for the grand, like how grandiose these movies going to yeah, be. Yeah, he can just cut through it all as being yeah. like this, like almost a proxy for the audience because he's kind of oh my god you're Captain America and yeah. he's kind of starstruck by the whole thing yeah definitely I think it's a really good kind of way of just like interrupting the tone yeah well the, like one of the funniest like moments I think in any Marvel film is the Hawkeye line in Age of Ultron which is what it's like when he's like look this is happening this is happening none of it makes sense we just kind of go with yeah, it yeah I'm just a man with a bow and none uh, of this makes sense yeah and I kind of think like Paul Rudd can kind of be like that like he can sort of cut through the stuff that makes that is absolutely ridiculous about like Avengers and stuff like that and you can be like this is properly bonkers and almost be like the voice of the audience sort of thing that's why I kind of liked about him yeah good cool uh, let's talk about horror Okay. Mm, uh, something that's clear, close to all of our hearts. Mm -hmm. uh, my favourite horror movie of the year was a little scene film, <coughs> got, a, got a limited release, Housebound, mm. a New Zealand horror film that very much combines comedy with horror and quite a lot of heart, actually. It's actually quite a sweet film uh, when you get into the sort of the, the final third. Yeah. Uh, but it's violent and it's scary the first time you watch it but you don't really know what's going on. And it's on Netflix. I don't want to say too much about it. I just think people should go and check it out. Yeah. I mean, I'll give the setup. It's about a girl who's, who's she's a 20-something and she's a bit of a chav, really. 
uh, you know, she's 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 a problem woman. She's got drink problem, drugs problem. She's thieving, and she gets arrested at the very beginning of the film. Gets put under house arrest. Doesn't get along with her mother, so there's some tension there. And then there's something. It feels like there's something in the basement, or the house is haunted. Mm. And she starts investigating, and then quite a lot happens like it, it throws you off the scent a couple of times yeah. it's quite twisty turny I thought it was really smartly plotted uh, it did scare me in the first half and then I just think it gets really interesting and funny and quite violent as well there's a couple of, you just yeah. saw it didn't you Gav? I saw it on the weekend yeah there's a couple like quite shocking couple of bits at the end of, of, of bloody violence yeah there's there's one one particular scene is the one of the creepiest things I've seen this year and like I probably had a little bit of a nightmare about it mm. it's just like it really gave me chills um, but it's good because it kind of like it uses really good like haunted house tropes but at the same time like because anyone who's going home for Christmas like I definitely do it but like you sort of regress a tiny little bit and you go back like every time I, I go home to my house I'm like I'm not 30 year old me I'm like 18 year old me when I'm hanging out with my sister and my mum and stuff and um, it kind of plays upon that because this girl is an idiot but then she's acting really really young as well and, she, and like her mum is brilliant like really really funny really she has some really good funny scenes but it kind of like plays upon that as well like you having to go back to your house because she's literally stuck in her house um, but there's a couple of really really funny characters like I know mm. like What We Do in the Shadows one of my favourite films last year and like Flight of the Concourse it's that type of humour which is like it's really silly but it's really sort of like, I don't know, not homegrown, but it's really sort of like, it's really, really good. It's quite broad, but it's quite sweet at yeah. the same time. Have you seen that one? No, I've not seen mm. that. So yeah, uh, we won't say any more about that one though, because yeah. there's quite a few like little mysteries to uncover. So yeah. check that out. Yeah. But what, what have you liked this yeah, year, Horror Wise so, Yeah, so I'm going to actually like tick off another one on my list, yeah. um, seeing as we're talking about horror, and that is um, Spring. Oh, I haven't seen this yet. So I think it played at a few festivals in 2014, but mm -hmm. it came out in the UK in 2015. Again, I'm not going to go into too much details mm. because, you know, don't want to spoil it, but I've seen yeah. a few things about it. It's about a guy who um, I think his mother dies and he um, leaves America and he goes to Europe and he ends up in Italy and he's working on a farm and in this small Italian village, he meets this stunningly beautiful, sexy woman played by Nadia Hilker, who's called Louise. And she's kind of like, she has this dark secret. And without revealing it, but you know, it's slightly Lovecraftian and it's slightly body horror. And it is very striking the way it shocks. It looks beautiful. It looks like almost like a Terrence Malick movie. Mm. But when it gets to the horror stuff later on, some amazing practical special effects that look unlike anything I've seen for a long time. Mm. Like, there's one scene in particular <laughs> and it made me recoil in revulsion mm. and yet I also rewound it immediately and um, paused it because I was watching it on Blu-ray to just check out what the hell was going on oh. and it really freaked me out. Um, but yes, yeah, it's, it's a really striking an original horror movie, I think. Yeah, it's... it's um that, that was on my list as well. Uh, Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, the two guys who wrote and directed it, who I think are real talents. And it's it's a very slow yeah. film, so but it really rewards okay. if you stick with it. <clears throat> um, I think it's I think that it's it's really magical. Actually, I think some beautiful cinematography. The way they shoot this little mm. Italian village is mm. really stunning, which also makes when like some of the kind of more horror elements begin to seep in, gives them a new look because they don't really rely on old conventions that much. It kind of looks more interesting. And also the way that they go down these like little Italian streets, kind of like shades of obviously don't look now with like mm. something terrifying hiding at the end of the street waiting for you. Yeah. Um, 
I really like that film. Yeah, tonally, it's a really unusual film, but I think I've watched it three times now. I, I just think it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Really original. No, you're right. Yeah, what I other horror it. then did we like? It Follows, I loved. I yeah. That was really, really good. It didn't make it on any of our top fives, but we're all fans of that I one, think, I think. Yeah, yeah, we all had it in about our top tens. So yeah, definitely. Well. Um, I just, I, I felt like it was something really new. I just really, really enjoyed that world. There was so much strange stuff going on, not just the people being followed, but like, there's just like really odd bits that kind of just made me feel uneasy. Like, we talked about it, like, we don't know when they were set. We're trying to figure out like, really what time odd it was. use of yeah. technology. Like, yeah. a lot of it seems period, and yet they got strangely very futuristic technology in some yeah. sense for the time it appears to be. Exactly, yeah. And like that kind of stuff really sort of puts you at an ease all the way through. But I like that it was, you know, a strange concept that it's kind of like a sexual transmitted disease that, you know, someone's going to follow you and kill you until it, and then it, the chain keeps going and going and going. But then it, because of that, and because the thing that's following people can look like anything, it, there was a lot of times where he was just normal, so you're afraid of everything. And then what the, th the thing that was following you would also would just look crazy. And it'd just be like this really strange, like giant in the house. And it, it kind of could do really, really good things with that and being like, oh, now we're just going to have like this monster looking thing. Um, and I really like that idea. I really enjoyed the music and the kind of direction. Yeah. And Obviously, the oh, a debt to John Carpenter's mm. work. And like, I really like the synth soundtrack, again, putting you on edge. But yeah. there's one brilliant shot in the movie where the camera's, camera keeps turning full 360 yeah. degrees. And you're looking in the background of the shot and you can see something getting closer and closer. And it really milks it. Yeah. Like Halloween's one of my favorite horror movies. And it does a lot and it achieves a lot yeah. by just having someone there looking inhumanly patient. Yeah. And that's kind of what that is. It's like, no matter what you do, Michael Myers will get you. And the yeah. same with this, really. It's like, you can put distance between it, but it's inevitable. The yeah. horror is inevitable. And it does a really good job playing with that suspense. Yeah, it does. Definitely. Do the rules that the film sets up work? Because I've heard it criticised quite a few places that it, it, it kind of loses its way in terms of this is how it works, but then by the time we get to the film, it seems to be yeah. a bit of, it's it's not very consistent. I know what you mean. For something that's like so reliant on it being specific rules, like the way that they decide to try and kill it, it doesn't make any sense at all. Mm. And like the actual intro doesn't, like I only read this the other day, like I, I loved it, but I read something about the intro the other day, like the first time you see it. And that doesn't make any sense either, mm. actually when you watch it again. Um, but I need, to, I need to see it for a second time. Yeah, agreed. Um, but I really liked it. How did they try to kill it? Just throw a load of electrical things in a swimming pool? Essentially, yes. Right. <laughs> uh, any more for any more on the horror front? Well, we really like the gift. The um, gift, yeah, I think this is a good place to talk horror, about. Yeah. I had it on my long list of films of I the year. I haven't seen it. Yeah. So, yeah, so it's, in the, it's a Blumhouse production. Yeah. Uh, it's not quite horror, but it's definitely thriller and mm. there's a lot of intimidation. So it feels like a very threatening movie. Yeah. But it, it goes some really interesting places, more than I think the poster or the trailer or who's in it would make yeah. initially, uh, what you initially think. Like, yeah. there's multiple levels to it. And, I feel like Joel Edgerton wrote, directed, and starred in that. Mm. Like, I want to see what else he's he's got. Yeah, um, yeah. It's 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 really nasty in bits, and it changes the who you're rooting for all the way through it, um, right until the very end. Because and it, it's got like a, one of the most horrible sort of climaxes, I think, just because of what it suggests. But at the same time, you're never quite sure if the person, you know, if anyone is evil really or like really really bad. Man, it's really, really good. It stayed, stays with you for quite a while afterwards as well. Um, but I really like that. Another The, I know you really liked it, was The Visit. Very good. Yeah, yeah The Visit. Again, it was a bit of a surprise because there's been some, 
you know, some pretty poor M. Night Shyamalan movies the last few years. Yeah. Like, I'm, a, I'm always been a big fan of his, but I'd kind of given up hope. And then the trailers were creepy, but you couldn't really get a sense of what it was. And they, they did a good job of keeping a mystery around it. And I just, I've found it really entertaining yeah. and really uh, frightening and really, really good fun. I just thought it was a really, it felt like a really good episode of Tales from the Crypt or something or yeah. Twilight mm-hmm. Zone or something like that. Like, uh, and that's kind of what I want from a Shyamalan yeah. film. Um, I think Dan and I were agreed that we didn't really like the little boy in it or that, that character that he was playing. He's Why is he rapping? <laughs> but no then in the cinema I was in, the there, were, there were loads of people really laughing at him. That's so I don't bonkers. know if I... Then don't have him doing a massive one on the end credits. Yeah. Like, like that, the weirdest thing about it is like when he uh, tries to swear and to kind of sublimate his oh, swearing yeah. tendencies. He says a female pop star. Yeah. But you like would not know Shania Shania Twain. Twain. Oh god! <laughs> you don't know who that is. Kill yeah. me now. If his main like musical influences is a rap, why is he saying <laughs> Shania Twain? But yeah. the uh, the teenage girl was very good in it, and, and obviously the, the the people playing the grandparents are very She's good. Wicked director, lying, yeah. a three point lighting <laughs> on the interviews, are amazing. <laughs> yeah, the grandmother's really terrifying in that. Um, so yeah, good horror films all around. Yeah. Uh, to change gear a little bit then, uh, in my list is the documentary Amy about well, Amy Winehouse. The funny thing is, um, I've spoken to people about this, I think it's the most powerful horror film of the year. <laughs> genuinely, the second half nasty, is a horror man, film. Yeah. The first half is a, a real wonderful <laughs> celebration. Oh, so of a, good. Of a, and then the second half, it, when it switches and it switches really quickly, mm. you are watching a human being die and that was more frightening to me and upsetting than any horror film I saw. Yeah, it's horrible. Just to see the way, like, as, as you say, because they've got so much amazing footage of, like, since when she was a little kid, um, like, just you know, like just messing around her house and doing these little songs, and you sort of realise, you go, God, she was actually, just, even though, obviously, everyone knows she's really good, you realise, like, her talent was actually, like, some on some other level that, like, we can't even understand. And then just as you, you, you almost forget where it's going because you're like, shit. In the same way as Senna's, like the same people who yeah. made that, like you forget, oh, hang on, because it's going to change at some point. It's because like, you're you know. enjoying the ride. The way yeah. it's shot, you're, you're part of this journey to the top. Yeah. That again was meteoric. It happened so fast. This was all in the space of two or three years. This, yeah. This upward tra- trajectory. And, yeah. then, and then obviously the downward. So but it's the same director as Senna, isn't it? Yeah. And it's yeah. the same thing that we talk about horror being like inevitable. It's yeah. When you start seeing events conspiring and you go, maybe if that one didn't or that yeah. one didn't. But altogether, it, it is just inevitable. Those, yeah, those guys are really good at coming up with, you know, putting the ca- making characters out of all this footage as well. Like, because you've got like a really good love story in there between like Amy and like her first manager, I think. Like the guy who's clearly in love with her. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. And then like you know, you've got bad people who you know she gets another manager who clearly just doesn't care about her. Um, and then you've obviously got her dad who's just like a pretty evil dude. Um, like I don't know if you call him evil I guess you can um, but it was really odd because I watched this the first time I watched it it was kind of like it wasn't like a premiere but it was like a secret cinema thing um, and it was on the day of my birthday as well and a lot of the people who were in the documentary were there watching it with me as well and you can kind of like I didn't think because you go in and everyone's kind of like in secret cinema like people are in character and it was kind of like a sort of like a, a 50s like juke joint type thing where people were it's like just welcoming you with trilby hats and things like that and going oh you haven't seen you for a while and it's like kind of like an old fashioned club and then 
the film starts and it's really really good but uh, and then obviously you know what's going to happen and it starts getting bad and as I, like, I was, I'm sitting behind these people who are in this film watching these people like watching themselves be part of this story and it was a really hard thing like a lot of them got up and sort of you know when and then right at the end of the film when it finishes the curtain goes up and there's a band there playing and I was like this is being pitched so badly because mm. like everyone everyone was literally like it was just silence in the audience and like yeah. they were trying to get like a little sing song going uh, to Valerie and everyone's just like what the fuck are you doing nobody wants to sing right now Everyone feels like they hate everything. Um, yeah, it's a, lot, hard. a lot of a lot of tears in that film yeah. in the screening I was in as well. And I mean, I wouldn't say the dad's evil. He's just misguided and maybe a bit greedy. But yeah. there's a lot of misguided people in that film, and it just it's just it's heartbreaking. And I felt like it was a little long. The film it's over two hours. Yeah, but you know what? That's probably because for the second half, I just wanted them to get to her death because yeah. it was so painful to watch. But he doesn't, that's what he's good at. He won't turn his camera away. You're seeing everything. You're seeing yeah. a human being just disintegrate in front of your eyes. And so while I found it hard, painful, like I'm, I'm probably glad he did make it that long. Yeah, definitely. Because there, I think there's even bits where, I mean, this is the testament to how really good it is. There's even bits where you're watching and you think, oh, this is, this is going to be a happy ending. And you're like, no, it's fucking not. Like, you know what happens here. But there's a bit where you think, oh, gosh, she's really going to turn around. It seems like she really wants to turn things around. And then everyone else is pulling at it from all these different, like, like points of her life. And then she, you know, she goes back down a really, really dark road. And it ends in a really, really dark way, as you can imagine. Um, but it's a brilliant film, like, really, really good to watch. Very good documentary. Yeah. Shall I go next? Yeah, go on. Yeah, Okay. I'm starting to mix mine up and I'm starting to change my mind a little bit. Let's oh. go with let's go with Tangerine. Okay. Because I, I saw Tangerine quite recently and this, this is a film that was hyped up as being the um, iPhone movie. Like, it, people have been talking for, for a long time now that sooner or later someone's going to make a really good movie on their iPhone. Yeah. And these guys went and did it. Um, and it sounds like a gimmick, but it really isn't. They literally didn't have enough money to hire a camera. Mm. They had enough money to hire some sound and buy a rig for the iPhone. Yeah. And that was it. That was all the money they had. They were shooting it guerrilla style. And so the sound is as professional as you can get. Yeah. And they've got this steady thing that they've used with the phone, but the rest of it is literally <coughs> uh, shot on the iPhone. Yeah. And you wouldn't know for a second. It's, it's so brilliantly dynamically shot. It's meant he can just kind of race yeah. through. And it, it's the story of... Um, a couple of transsexual prostitutes in LA on Christmas Eve. Uh, one of them's just got out of prison after being away for a couple of months and her boyfriend has slept with uh, a white woman and uh, she is not happy about it. And yeah. so the film is just following her, trying to find this girl and trying to find uh, her boyfriend basically to mess them up. Yeah. Like she is on the warpath and it is... It's a thrilling thing to watch. It's so exciting. It's it's maybe the best action, some of it, I've seen this year. Just the yeah. way she's storming down the road to this pumping soundtrack. And the, the camera's kind of rushing towards her and then rushing away. Yeah. And the characters are all really funny. The dialogue's hilarious. It's all very real. Like, once these... Because it's two white guys that wrote the script and directed yeah. it. But once they got these two actors involved who really live this life in real life or have done um, they rewrote a lot of it and yeah. it's just it, it feels very real and very it's just I wasn't expecting to enjoy a film with that setup. see I went in I really want because I know you <coughs> like it so much and I went in really 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 wanted to enjoy it but I just hated the main girl like properly hated her 
like I just couldn't. Because you're racist or transphobic? Nope, nope none of those things. I just really, I really wanted to <laughs> like not it. consciously, um, but it might be those things. But I just, I just thought she was a terrible actress. And I was like, I just didn't believe anything that she was saying. Uh, I just felt like everything was like really, really staged. Um, and I just, I just couldn't get into it at all. But the music is really, really good. And like, you know, those scenes where she's walking, they are brilliant. Yeah. Um, because it's just like a woman scorned, just like going absolutely bonkers and just raging down these streets. No drama. She keeps saying, no drama. I ain't going to make no drama. Yeah, yeah. And just, no, yeah she's going to make some is drama. Is it quite festive? <laughs> well, I watched this on Christmas Eve no, with my it is, mum. It is quite Christmassy. Like, maybe not with your mum, but it's it's one of those funny, like twisted Christmas films that I think I will find myself watching yeah. at Christmas again. Um, I really want and to it, see and it has got quite a good heart as well like it's quite you know the, the humour's quite nasty yeah. but the, the, deep down it's quite a sweet film I think yeah right Croups I'm going to go I'm going to start talking about sci-fi now okay. okay not the one that we'll get to we're going to go with The Martian first okay um I really like space films. One of my favourite films growing up was Apollo 13. I used to watch that a ridiculous amount of times with my mum. Yeah. And what I love about Apollo 13 is obviously it's real. It's an amazing true story. I came out of The Martian thinking it's a true story, even though I know it's not a true story, <laughs> such as the way it's shot and told procedurally. Yeah. And it just feels like, because there's a great scene in Apollo 13 when they go, we need to get them down from here and we need to fix this thing and all we've got is the contents of this box. Yeah. And Martian has that similar kind of approach. It's like, it's almost like a puzzle. It's a conundrum stretched to an entire movie. You've got yeah. this guy stuck on this planet. He does not have enough stuff to live for the amount of time that we need to rescue him. Yeah. How are we going to do this? And it's just a big <laughs> puzzle. Yeah. And I really like the way that they pursue that with the science, with the, with the rigor. But also, that sounds like a really boring film. Yeah. But it's not. It's really entertaining. It's surprisingly lighthearted in places. Matt Damon's performance, he has to carry a movie, a lot of scenes yeah. by himself. It's got this disco soundtrack. It's got a good amount of humour to it. Yeah. I like the Chiwetel Legia four scenes on Earth yeah. where he's kind of speaking to this, just this line of text. Yeah. And I just like that kind of succession of problem solving. Yeah. And at the end, it's kind of inspirational as well. Yeah, I think um, you're right. I think in the hands of, you know, the, the wrong hands, it could have been a really, really cool film. To it, but it's it's just not at all. And like you're completely captivated throughout it all. And I think the supporting characters, they chose really, really good ones because you've got that other crew as well, um, sort of deciding what they're going to do. If they, are they going to go back? Are they going to help him? Um, I don't know. It's just, it's, it starts it starts really, really strong and it just keeps that all the way through, I think. At no point was I bored or anything like that? You're just really along to try and, you really care as well. Um, even uh, even at bits when you say, when they, they are, it's just characters reading off screens for a while. Like yeah. it seems like, I don't mean, I don't know that much. Guys, I'm not a rocket scientist, as you might right. think, but- You don't have to be. It seems like watching. it's kind of a lot really realistic, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I know the book is hard sci-fi. Yeah. You know, it treats it and it approaches yeah. it like that. It's not, you know. His dad was a full-on scientist, the guy that wrote it. Yeah. And then he, he dabbled, I can't remember if he was a teacher or not, but yeah, definitely he spent a lot of time researching that. And then this, you know, they with these films, they involve NASA. They, I went on the set of The Martian and, and you know, they, they are, because the guys... NASA and the astronauts are people that were inspired by films that Ridley Scott has made. Yeah, it's like <laughs> you know, the circle keeps on going. Yeah, and so they they want to become involved as well because and they'll be the ones there first. You know, like well, you know, they, I remember you know Duncan Jones screened Moon at NASA because they were desperate to see it and like that was the most fun screening he had. And I think they were telling Ridley Scott that certain things they designed 
at NASA was designed to look a bit like th- props from Alien because they love mm-hmm. Alien yeah. so much. So, um, <laughs> I like that. Very good. So, we're going to Mars and then the space jockey comes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're in this. Um, but you come out of that movie and you go, this almost has that. Because obviously, there's lots of discussion whether we should spend public funds on space exploration, whether yeah. it's actually a vital human necessity if we're mm. going to survive, you know. Global um, warming and so on, and you come out. And it's like it's an inspirational movie. Yeah, like why are we not going to space? Also, for me, the most emotional scene of the year was a man losing a bunch of potatoes. <laughs> yeah, heartbreaking. Yeah. So yeah, uh, the fact that the movie can both do that, be about potatoes, and also inspire human endeavor, yeah. is pretty good. And, and what a cast as well. Oh, it's unbelievable. It's, a lot of them like don't have much to do. But, no. uh, I guess when Ridley Scott comes knocking. Yeah, I really like Benedict Wong there. He's really really good. Um, he's just like really funny guy uh, and like massive I don't know if you put on the weight for that <laughs> no no he's playing um, oh yeah because he's Kong. playing Genghis, Genghis Kong, Kong isn't yeah, he yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah <laughs> this dude, you need to be a dude at NASA it's my raging bull <laughs> can we put this back a year filming <laughs> I've just I've got some prep <laughs> no I thought it was really good uh, what else we got Chris Okay, come to me, okay. Um, I, see, I was changing my mind a few times on this one, but I'm gonna go with Steve Jobs. From Tangerines to Apples. Yeah. I was nearly gonna go for A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. It's good. It's a really good film, but Steve Jobs, Steve Jobs. uh, Good Apple gag. Um, Thank you. uh, Love Danny Boyle, huge fan of his. And I thought this was a really interesting, unusual approach you know, having him direct an Aaron Sorkin script, a very stagey one, he managed to make it really cinematic. Um, I'll be honest, I never really thought that Michael Fassbender was Steve Jobs at any point in the film, but I just like watching Michael Fassbender deliver lines. And I think he's a really interesting dynamic actor. And uh, even though he doesn't look like Jobs, you know, it sounds like he got the essence of the man. Yeah. Um, I think when when he sticks the glasses on, then I kind of believed it a little bit more. I think it was like more the second act um, where he looks nothing like him and he looks like this really beautiful man because he is a beautiful man. Mm. And I just, uh, that, but then at no point, I think we talked about this, at no point did I think that mattered at all. Like, because we saw also saw like um, the program, which is, you know, about Lance Armstrong and uh, Ben Foster really looks like him and really sounds like him. But it doesn't matter. If you've well, got the, a really good story, really good script. Even more really direct comparison. Yeah. There's a Steve Jobs movie with yeah. a guy in it who looks a lot like mm. Steve Jobs from that period. Yeah. But Fassbender is great at show, portraying someone who is intense, yeah. committed, obsessive, mm. controlling. I think it does really get to the heart of the man. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a, it runs a little long, I think, but I, I just, I've, I was really gripped from start to finish and I'm really sad it was such a flop. Yeah. Um, and I'm still not sure why. You know, I've heard all different theories on it and I heard Aaron Sorkin talking about it uh, the other day. Oh, really? What did he, he say? Well, he's not sure himself. I mean, the guy asked him, is it because people just don't really like Steve Jobs. They like the products, but they don't like the man. Yeah. And therefore they're not that interested in seeing his story. Um, you know, did, did, did the trailers it. put people off? But what happened? Like, what happened is, yeah. is I, I remember when the back and forth was, you know, if you the, the Sony emails and Sorkin himself, you know, they had DiCaprio and then they lost DiCaprio and they got Fassbender and he's like, who's going to come see a film starring Michael Fassbender? I don't know who he is. I don't watch his movies. Yeah, maybe that was the problem that he's not a movie star. He's a really good actor who's who's not going to open a movie on his own. Yeah. So yeah. it's like Christian Bale at one point as well. Yeah, 
Yeah. So I don't know. It just seems like a, a bit of a, a missed opportunity that that film won't get seen on the big screen because I think it was it's for, for something so stagey. It, yeah. They made it really cinematic. And Seth Rogen is the secret weapon in the movie. You know, yeah, he's, he's absolutely really there, brilliant yeah. in the film. It's really good to see because yeah. it's very rare that guy acts yeah. or, or acts. You know, not a variation on, on who he I is. Also, I also like that approach to biopic rather than doing from like cradle to grave oh, God, and trying yeah. to get everything in and you come away I know nothing about the person yeah. I know we did all the major hits yeah, yeah, yeah. the greatest hits this is a man in action across three moments in his life and you get some sense of his relationships with people however kind of yeah. um, convenient a lot of that is and contrived they're kind of like you say they're like the- theatrical contrivances yeah. you go along with them and Sorkin you know <clears throat> talks about the fact that when he gives in, in his writing when he gives the character a speech in his head he's often imagining that character getting to heaven and talking to God right. and, and making their case to God. And that's what this film is, is that there's three speeches basically with him making his case to God pretty much. Yeah. But I think you're right, Cruz. I think like you learn more. I felt like I learned more about the character than I did on any biopic where it's just like, this is him being born. This is what's him the, all the way through. What's the Martin Luther King film recently? Selma. Selma. Selma did a similar thing. It was yeah. one moment from Martin Luther King's life yeah. that shows you something about the man more than ever like A to Z will ever do. Yeah. I, I really, really love Steve Jobs. Like the, it, I think I just, it didn't quite get into my top 10 because of the couple of stinker moments in there. And yeah. Like, cause there's some real big stinkers in there. I think the bit where it builds up from the start that she keeps having this horrible little tape deck and right yeah. at the end he says, I'm going to put 10,000 songs in your pocket. Oh, yeah, fuck off. Terrible. Horrible. Ugh. Terrible. Really made me groan. Um, but it's a really, really good film. <laughs> so that's lovely to end on that negative note. Yeah. <laughs> what else you got, Gav? Inherent Vice. I think, to be fair, if... Paul Thomas Hansen makes a film of a tramp hitting a bin for two hours. I would say that it was the best film of the year. But I did really, really like Inherent Vice. Um, there's just something about it. It's a really, really good, just silly story told. It kind of like, it, it really harks back to kind of stuff like Big Lebowski and things like that. You really feel like it's that kind of character thing. And these really strange characters keep cropping up as you go along on this like really strange storyline, which you're never quite sure what is going on. Like I've only seen it all once. And I really need to see it again. But I was kind of along for it and I really enjoyed it. And I thought like Whack and Phoenix, just watching him for that amount of time just by himself is just awesome. Um, but it's such a good film, I think. And it just looks fantastic as well. It looks really like old school. Um, and I just think you don't really get the opportunity to see films like that because his films don't do very much money, but I guess people just let him go all out on it. And it feels like this was definitely him just, you know, doing whatever the he wanted. The value yeah. isn't monetary. Exactly, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I probably love it. It's funny to think that's actually supposed to be one of Thomas Pinchon's most plot-driven novels. Yeah. <laughs> what next? Mason and Dixon. Just 900 pages of just bric-a-brac. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I just loved it. I felt like, like all the supporting characters are really, really good. And Joanna Newsom as the sort of narrator was really, really good as well. Um, I liked that. I have not seen it. Oh, so no. I've got nothing else to offer. I wasn't a big fan, yeah. but it is something that I will revisit, I'm yeah. sure. I don't know. My expectations were too high and I yeah. got a little bit bored. Um, and it's, I didn't it's hard. really keep up with the plot. I didn't know if I was supposed to be keeping up with the plot or just kind of enjoying the atmosphere. 
And I just found it all a little bit frustrating, really. I think you're right. I think like that is definitely you're just meant to be along for this ride, and you hit the sort of big bits. But it's he's like this bonkers character, and you can't trust anything that he does or says. And a lot of the time, you can't understand the thing that he says. Um, so you kind of just have to go along for this just sort of like crazy little ride that you go on for quite a long time. But I don't know, it's really, really good. Also, Owen Wilson's brilliant in it. Like one of the best things I've seen Owen Wilson in for ages, mm. um, and he's fantastic in it. Yeah, no, lots of Josh Brolin was good. Mine. Yeah. Short, my short was really good, if a bit bonkers. Yeah. It's just got some really, really funny moments in it and some really sort of serious, harsh moments in it as well. I, just, mm. I, I really liked it. It really did seem to split people. I always think yeah. that's, that's interesting cinema when people either love it or hate it. It happens a lot with his sort of like recent films as well. Like a lot of people like hated The Master or a lot of people like said it was like their best film of the year. And yeah, things yeah like I, that. Like the, I like The Master. Yeah, it's really good. Daniel. My final one. <clears throat> uh, again, small indie film, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Um, we're gonna do. We're not gonna go into loads. We could do two hours just talking about Star Wars yeah. and a lot of the talking points. We're gonna do that on a different show on Rebel Base. Yeah. So go check that out if you want a big spoilerific chat about The Force Awakens. God, probably the hardest film in the year to like make and satisfy people. Yeah. You know, given what happened with the prequels and you know what we think of those prequels now, J.J. <laughs> Abrams, I think, delivered a movie that was very entertaining satisfying and also I do think it's like <clears throat> the biggest criticism is it remixes so much of New Hope and what's gone before it but mm. I would argue that Star Wars isn't in itself very original at all yeah. like it is you know joined together lots of myth and it gets to the point now where it's almost feeding back on its own mythology but I think it sets up a really interesting next film and the film after it yeah. and it takes advantage of what was good from its past kind of throws away stuff that wasn't so good and I just thought I had the best time in that film this year. Yeah. It's like a roller coaster. The first time I watched it was like <clears throat> an actual roller coaster where like we were just like <gasps> I was so excited so to see excited, it. And yeah. I'm glad it like I came out still feeling good afterwards. Yeah. And we we're all talking about it and like, well, this was a great bit, this was a great bit. I really yeah. like that bit. Um, you know, maybe the overall plot elements at the end of what they're doing is too similar. Yeah. But I think after the prequels, given us so much of stuff we didn't like, this was the movie that we needed right now just to go, this is what Star Wars is. The people who are making it know what you like. Yeah. And we'll maybe take in some interesting, I hope they take in some interesting places going forward. But for yeah. this one, it's just like, we're just going to give you a big hit of stuff you like for now. Yeah. There were, there were the odd thing that I didn't like the first time I watched it. And then there were a few more things the second time. And I'm worried it's going to be like that. Which actually happened to me with the prequels as well, that mm. I came out of them going, oh, that was great. And then just slowly but surely it kind of unraveled a bit for me. Yeah. But I think this is a better film than all three of those. Definitely. Overall, um, partly because of the cast and the characters. Um, and I think, it, you know, it wipes the slate clean like maybe we all wanted for them to really push ahead. But I, keep, I feel like my opinion is going to change on this one a few times before I've settled down. It's not settled, yeah. is it? It's still the frenzy surrounding it, the excitement. Um, you know, we, there's those famous videos on YouTube of people coming out and instantly uh, praising the Phantom Menace yeah. and loving it. I don't think we're in that situation because there were criticisms of Phantom Menace around at the time as well. Mm, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I just think it was a very entertaining movie and I'm really interested to see where they take it. Yeah, definitely. Chris, what's your last one? I think we should talk about spy movies. Okay. Because this year has been the year of the spy movie. I think there's been... Loads. Seven or eight of them. Okay. 
Um, and one of them was one of my favorite films of the year, which was Kingsman, The Secret Service. Yeah, this is my top 10. So good. Yeah, something we've known about for a while because of, you know, Mark Miller's guest on the podcast a few times. It was his comic. Mm. Uh, it's a good, fun comic. And then Matthew Vaughan, who collaborated with him on Kick-Ass and the screenwriter Jane Goldman all got together for this one. Yeah. And they seem like a pretty good combination. So good. And it was born out of, um, you know, Mark's very much, in, you know, wants to make things independently, so he owns, you know, creator-owned stuff. Vaughan agrees with him, and they sat in a pub and said, let's come up with something. Yeah. And I think it was called Union Jack originally. originally. Um, and, yeah, him and, him and Matthew hammered it out. Mark went and made the comic. Matthew went and made the film. And... It's just a blast. I felt like it was to, to spy movies what Kick-Ass was to superhero movies. Just mm. really good, really fun, subversive, yeah. a bit edgy, but hugely entertaining. Like Matthew just knows how to entertain an audience for a couple of hours. Yeah, definitely. I think like from the start, like just seeing Colin Firth in that role, like from the moment <laughs> that he bolts the door in that pub, I was just like, this is brilliant. Manners like maketh the man. It's just it's, so good. You've never seen him done do something quite like that. No, and no. then it just gets more and more extreme until it builds yeah. towards the the scene in the movie, which yeah. you saw mm. in an editing bay yeah, quite, a seen, while ago. You came back to me and you were like, bloody hell. Yeah. <laughs> if, literally. If you can get this into the movie. Yeah. yeah. I think I think that the the church scene you're talking about. I think it was cut for the actual release the, from the version that I saw. Even what gets in then, is, yeah, boy, you must have seen. Yeah, it's a really uncompromising, violent scene yeah. where the, the 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 villain in the movie Samuel Jackson. Yeah. It gives everyone a free SIM card so they can have unlimited data on their phone. That's right, yeah. But it also transmits... Is it a frequency? And it turns them all very violent. Yeah, yeah. So he's got to take on a church full of violent individuals. Yeah. And the choreography in that is great as well. Yeah, and, and, and Matthew's really good at casting as well. Um, you know, he's kind of helped put Daniel Craig on the map. Yeah. Uh, you know, Jennifer Lawrence had only done Winter's Bone and she hadn't even had the Oscar stuff when he cast her in mm. X-Men. He's really good at finding young, interesting actors. And I think Taron Egerton is going to be a huge star. He's really likeable, very charismatic, uh, in kind of a non-threatening way. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh, he's he's going to be Harrison Ford. He's going to be Han Solo. I That's would not him. be averse to that. Yeah, I think it, like he's one of the only people on the lists that I've seen that I think, actually, yeah, he can my, actually my nail you go from Eddie the Eagle to Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> but that trailer for Eddie the Eagle looks brilliant. He looks like he's actually doing something really good with it. Like, he seems like he's a really, really smart person. Like, in the craze, like, he does something really good with that tiny character as yeah. well. Um, I don't know. I'm, I'm Just every time he's on screen, he's like, he's got this really good charisma about him. And all the way through this, like, the, tra the first trailer I saw for Kingsman, I was like, I will never watch watch that film because I hate just bullshit chav stuff where they're just like you know doing this like chav speaking stuff but I, I mean what like five minutes into that film you realise there's so much more to it um, and I think I was there's probably the film that I've been the most pleased about enjoying that I thought I really wasn't going to like and I, I put I like I really put off watching it for so long um, and then was just so pleased that I was wrong about it but I didn't like the joke at the end that's terrible yeah also I didn't like Samuel Jackson either no, I agreed, actually. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I reviewed it for the site. I, I, yeah. that, that lisp thing, which was his idea, no one, no one else's idea. Are you doing it that? It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. Stop playing with it. I honestly think that Matthew was probably too scared to say no yeah. to him. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, but, well, you could, we, could, we could do a few like that and yeah. uh, a few without. Does oh, we're not doing new, them without? Okay. Yeah. Does a new work? But if you can get beyond those two things, yes. 
and it's, it's really easy to get beyond this. But yeah, there, so, were, there yeah. were a few other spy movies that came out this year. I, I think we had a really good Mission Impossible. Yeah, Rogue mm-hmm. Nation. I reviewed that. You reviewed and I that. think I do. I do really like that movie. I think maybe there's some bits I didn't really like in it. I've, my reviews, I think, scored slightly lower than somewhere elsewhere. Yeah. But I still overall thought it was a really enjoyable movie. Yeah. I think I was just looking at it. I really like Ghost Protocol. Yeah. And thought it was going to capitalize on this new look team. Yeah. And then it kind of threw all that stuff away in the opening of the movie and it was literally Tom Cruise against the world again Ugh. and hiring new people. Yeah. But the action sequences are brilliant in it. Yeah. And we'll come on to Spectre in a minute because I was really disappointed with that movie. Yeah. But I feel in the Craig era of Bond has become very serious and self-important. Mission Impossible has really thrived because there's been this like hole in the market yeah. just to do ridiculous action and have fun with it and that's what Ethan Hunt is doing now and he, he, there's just like there's a real kind of joy to the Mission Possible sequences that I think the Bond ones have got a bit serious with yeah. um, the Mendes films recently yeah, yeah. definitely well, well the, like, the, I think Bridge of Spies is my favourite other than Kingsman I think Bridge of Spies is up there because I think it's Steven Spielberg doing a really like small little drama with Tom Hanks and it's just like how can that ever go wrong it's, like a, it's quite an old fashioned film as well like, uh, yeah, it's yeah. The Terminal I like The Terminal mm, yeah um, a little bit different than that Very uh, different. Uh, <laughs> but there's a lot of it's a lot of kind of you know the Cold War drama a lot of yeah. t- tension people speaking in code mm. people meeting in big overcoats in Eastern European um, yeah. cities like it's a really brilliantly well made film and the story is true and yeah, that's, powerful that was the thing. So as soon as I came out of it, like, so basically they, they recruit this insurance lawyer um, to start talking to like spies and things like that. Because, I, and I can't, like you start looking at the things that he did afterwards as well. He carried on doing that stuff. They were yeah. just like, this, this is like really changing career for him. Yeah. Like that could be a really good sequel. Cause I think he's involved in like the, um, the Cuba stuff then as well. They tril- sent him down there. It's a trilogy. Ooh. Uh, there was Spy, the Melissa McCarthy film, which, I know Gav loved. Big, big fan of that. Uh, I really enjoyed Spy. I thought it was funny. <clears throat> it was a bit too long. I like Statham in it. Statham is brilliant. Statham's really funny in it. Isn't there another bloke who's funny in it? Oh, Jude Law's quite funny in it, sending himself yeah. up a little bit. Is Sarah Finowich in that? Uh, seen that one? He, yeah, is. he is. Yeah, yeah he is. He's a bit over the top, <laughs> actually. Ridi- he's ridiculous. But, yeah. <laughs> um, it's very broad humour, but the yeah. action's okay. Um, I just thought it was a very likeable film. Yeah. Gav did not. Uh, we have Mordecai. <laughs> God, that's on Netflix now, is it? Yeah, check that um, out. Over I haven't seen that. Uh, I mean, I've said it on here before. I'm not the world's biggest Johnny Depp fan. Mm. I haven't been for about twenty years, so <laughs> I. It's not since Edward. I think is the last thing I really okay. liked him in. Okay, and uh, the first Pirates was okay. Uh, yeah, this is not the film for me, so I haven't seen it, so I can't pass judgment. Yeah, I'm, I, I don't seen think it. we gave it a very positive review. Yeah, I don't think anyone did. I think you can go out a limb on this one. Yeah, Are can you? I? <laughs> uh, Spooks came out this year. Oh god, MI five, not nine to five. Oh god, um, um, it, you know what? It's. I think I reviewed that for us. I mean, they're trying. They they've got such a shoestring budget. It's not a film. It's it's a yeah. It's a TV movie. Yeah. It's you know he's you know Kit Harrington isn't really a movie star I don't think um, his hair is not what I would associate with a spy's hair I wouldn't go away with that <laughs> it's just he's rubbish we had a real problem with his hair didn't but we? also like we talked about this is the main action sequence in that movie there's two actually there's a man jumping off a very small bridge yeah and then the other one is him trying to get from terminal one to terminal three yeah it was a really which a- is a nightmare yeah. I will not you know let's, let's not feel the battle it's a nightmare but 
when we had him on the podcast, it was a really awkward moment because yeah, cause you said that to him. Yeah, because I said, "Oh, I've, you know, I, I could really empathise with you because I've had to get from turn one to turn two before, and it was really hard work." And he was like, "Yeah, was it? Yeah. All right. Well, I've pitched this wrong. So, and then you pointed out that he's wearing the exact same clothes <laughs> as the poster we had on the telly. He's like, "Yeah, should I take this off?" I was like, "Well, no, dress yourself." I think it's a better film if you're a fan of the TV show. I think it has a bit more emotional resonance with with what the main, some of the characters. Yeah, the dude. I don't really yeah. know the show that yeah, well. So as long as it falls flat for me. Yeah. yeah so, well, when was the show on telly? Like that seems like it should have been out. If it was going to come out yeah. as a film, it should have mm. come out ages it's a bit ago. after the fact. So like, that was it. Was just forgettable. But I, it wasn't a disaster. It just wasn't for us yeah and then finally the biggest one of the year da, da, da. Spectre <laughs> what was that I don't know I, I thought what everyone countdown I thought everyone was just be fine and then I looked up and you were both looking at me Spectre the new Bond uh, I reviewed that one for the site um, I had to review that one in about six hours so yeah. with a bit of distance actually I'm pretty happy with what I said about it um, just a bit disappointing after the last one it didn't it didn't live up to the standards of the, the previous Bond film. I thought film. Skyfall was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really love that all, movie. For all its problems, Skyfall was a great Bond movie. Yeah. And this one, it just... I don't know what it was. It didn't quite... I think maybe the script... I think <clears> they started the movie before the script was finished. And I just think uh, that it, all the problems in that good, script... It? Well, it happens a lot, though. Yeah. You, more often than you'd, you'd imagine. And it can be sorted out. I'm pretty sure Skyfall was the same, actually. Okay, yeah. But... um. It just didn't, there was too much of it didn't work. Yeah. It's so strange, like, um, Skyfall was, was it the 50th anniversary of Bond? And it trod this really fine line between nostalgia and yeah. doing original stuff. And I've written a piece on the site kind of taking stock of all of Craig's movies. And they've done something really weird with him, where it was pitched initially as a reboot. And the very first scene we saw was him getting his 007 license. Everything's yeah. been reset. And over the four films, I think they've wanted to take that character on some kind of journey. Yeah. You know, he loses Vesper, and I think they retrospectively made that more important for the character and more haunting. Yeah. But at the same time, they still want him to be James Bond. Yeah. Which is totally against that sort of stuff. So what you get is him caught in the middle of being, like, really mournful and troubled by these people he's losing. And yet also doing seven costume changes and Ugh. sleeping with loads of women and doing all this stuff. By the time you get to Spectre, they have to like scratch out an entire movie pretty much to make it make any sense. Yeah. And also bring Blofeld in. The whole point of the reboot is almost like the Star Trek thing. It's like, go off, have new adventures, create yeah. new stuff. Second movie they did Khan. The fourth movie here, they've done Blofeld yet again. Yeah. I just feel like either commit into doing classic Bond stuff or be brave and like create new villains yeah like, like the Blofeld thing is completely unnecessary as well because they set up this really cool villain like from his like past and from his yeah, childhood yeah it could have been really really good and then like the way he's oh yeah uh, I don't go by that anymore I go by Blofeld oh do you alright brilliant I, that, think undem- it. I think it undermines both things yeah, yeah it doesn't, doesn't work it does not work to, to try and build up to that moment yeah. that has no effect on the lead character because he doesn't know who Blofeld is <laughs> it just it's, 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 and it's the same with Star Trek though he doesn't know who Khan is this yeah. means nothing it plays to the, the audience but yeah. not even that many much of the audience and all no. things I saw it with my girlfriend what's this about yeah who's Blofeld this guy's a bit sad isn't he he's yeah. like he's mm. got his dad talk, taken away from him he's just done all this in private yeah. so it, was just, it was just an okay Bond movie yeah. and it's a bit disappointing when it's you know potentially Craig Swan song and Sam Mendes directing I was hoping it was going to be a five star Bond movie yeah know? but hey ho yep. it's the end um, is that us through all our choices last one 
is a film that I saw by accident. Uh. Uh, I was meant to go see The Voices and went into the wrong screening room. So I went to see Force Majeure, which uh, it's just like, you know, it's really hard to go see a film where you know nothing about. Particularly, and it's even harder to go see a film where you think it's going to be something else completely. And this is a really, really good surprise. Um, and it's just a really amazing character study of like masculinity and how just a tiny bit of threat on that. Uh, can just spiral out of control massively. And a lot of it is just conversations between people. It's like, uh, it's really, really awkward conversations. Like, it's one of the most awkward scenes of the year. So it's like, really I think you should odd. give this setup, Gav, because it's a fun Oh, setup. yeah, actually, yeah, that's a good point. So basically, uh, you should definitely watch it. And this happens really early Netflix into the film. As well, it's on so Netflix, watch it yeah. Christmas. But as a family are on holiday uh, in the Alps and they're, <laughs> it's really funny how it happens as well. Yeah. They're sort of watching in the, in the background as a avalanche happens and they're like oh that's getting a bit close and an avalanche like hits where they're having breakfast and they're all covered in snow and everything but just at the last minute as the avalanche is about to hit the dad runs away and leaves two kids and the wife like hiding like he, you see him just run out a shot yeah and whereas she's like she goes to protect the kids yeah he legs it he legs it and when you're watching it you're thinking it doesn't really register that you're first so then you go and then when they're shouting for him and they're like where is he and then he just sort of strolls back into the scene because it's one cut off scene one locked off uh, shot and you're like it doesn't really register with you and then basically later on in the night then she says that I think it only comes out while they're with this other couple around dinner and they said oh well she says oh yeah but he didn't know because he ran off and he has a complete uh, whether he believes it or not he's like that's not how I remember it she remembers it one way which is the way that it actually happened and you, you see, see it yeah. and he remembers it a completely different way and he doesn't remember that happening at all but this in, this tiny little thing like complete, has this like horrible spark in the relationship and just like is the basic catalyst for the entire film then and they meet another they meet another couple and that couple is kind of uh, she brings it up again uh, it's just it's really hard to watch and it's it has very some, awkward yeah, yeah it's really really awkward scenes but it's. I mean, it's, it's a good really, movie. It's, it's a very good yeah. movie, and it does. It does have you putting yourself in that position. Hundred percent. Yeah. I'd like to think I would protect the kids, <laughs> but I don't have kids, so I don't know. But part of me is like, would I run off? Like, yeah. But then also, if I run off, would I just admit to him and be like, look, that was a shit thing to do. Yeah. I didn't know what was happening. It's fight or flight, and unfortunately, I run away. Um, yeah. But then, it's just not that important to me. But it's the fact that the guy just won't admit it because obviously, you know, he feels so bad about what he's done. Um, but yeah, what a brilliant film. Really good, interesting. Good film, film to watch over Christmas. Christmas yeah. Uh, Snow. What did you do? Conversation starter. Yeah, exactly. Unusual film. Um, but yeah. So should we talk about our, our biggest disappointments? Yeah, let's do, let's go negative now. Okay. Um, I think you should take my one. Okay. And then I'll take another one. Gotcha. Gav, you do yours first. Uh, I have a doubler. Well, that's it, not allowed. I, that's, I, not, I, that's not part of the rules. I'm so. doing it. Uh, train wreck or the walk? Because I almost walk. walked out of both. Pick one. Train wreck then. <laughs> okay. Uh, because I've talked about it on this podcast before. so I won't Yeah, we've even more, had emails saying, can you stop... Slagging off train wreck everywhere. I don't know if you've seen this. People oh, Gav's on this week. People are literally writing in saying, why, why can't you just leave train wreck alone? Really? It's all, it's all right. Yeah, we did have an uh, email. From the director of train wreck. All right, maybe I should talk about the walker. Uh, <laughs> Actually, maybe. No, maybe you're right. Yeah, 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 we, yeah. Have done, we have slagged it off. Okay, but we, we know your feelings on train wreck. Okay, yeah. Um, but <laughs> the walk. Uh, Daniel and I went, uh, saw this uh, at, at like a press screening. And a lot of the time, uh, I was we were just looking at each other going, I cannot believe this is in a film in 2015. Um, there's a bit where, so it's basically about 
um, what's the guy's name? Philippe Petit. Philippe Petit, yeah. Mm. The guy uh, for an amazing documentary called Man on Wire, uh, who like put a wire down and walked between the Twin Towers. Um, it's really, really, it's basically about that film. So it's kind of like half a heist film, half a romance film, half a biopic, and That's none of it, halves. and like three hearts, yeah. It, none of it works, none of it works at all. Like maybe the last bit, because we saw it in 3D. We, we should say, quite well reviewed elsewhere yeah I'm totally on board with you I think just the tone's slightly off it's, but also because I know Man on Wire is such a great documentary yeah. I think it tells that story so well with the people involved <laughs> and it's really hard with Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing that role because yeah. when you see footage of the guy yeah. the guy is an unrealistic man yeah he almost shouldn't exist in reality mm. he's so crazy and mm. big and has such a enthusiasm for life the, no actor can get close to that because he's like truly no. unique. I'll tell you an actor dude. I'd like to have seen playing the role, a young Vincent Cassell. Yeah. Because oh, yeah. he, you know, that when he was in that Ocean's 13, <laughs> yeah. it was that really weird performance. With a spark in his eye. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's some weird scenes where, uh, like in France, where he goes, oh, you do it better. Oh, what so, does he so, say to the girl when he, he chats her up? So yeah, this is like the love bit of it, basically, where like he got, he meets this girl that he falls in love with. And uh, like they're in Paris, like it, it, you can tell they're in France. They don't need this. And he just goes to her, would you like to come out with some wine later on? Like, it just like, they just heap these stereotypes <laughs> on to it. <laughs> And it's, because, it's exactly like that. Why should I put down my wire? Yeah. <laughs> it's just awful. Like, oh man, just terrible. But then it leads up to this amazing sort of sequence. And I guess if you saw, like we, we saw it at the IMAX Leicester Square, which is one of our favorite sort of screens. We saw it in like IMAX 3D and having him walk across the yeah, wire. The tech is cool. I mean, like, this, there's a very obvious solution to this, mm -hmm. as far as I'm concerned, is someone cuts the walk. Yeah the actual walk into the documentary because obviously they never had any footage at the time of the yeah. walk and that's what's missing from the documentary which is a cool like makes it kind of more mysterious but yeah. there's only the odd still photo but so you could put that walk in the middle of the film yeah how would that be? Well, something even better that they're doing. Um, um, my idea. Yes, way better. Um, but that's a good idea. But Sony, Sony's VR headset is going to come with this, like, uh, you're going to be able to get this game or sort of experience it's called yeah. The Walk. And it's basically, you put the VR headset on and it's you doing the actual walk. I mean, that's definitely something I never want to do in my life. So that <laughs> doesn't sound bad. the middle of the film. Please put on headset and proceed to be sick all yeah, over your living room yeah. floor. Yeah. Um, but yeah. The it was it was it was really hard, and then like to like had to go and interview Robert Zemeckis about it as well. When all I wanted to talk about Back to the Future, I'm just asking him, just like, why did you think this story needed to be told, even though it was told in the documentary? <laughs> and which is maybe not a good opening gambit, but he was like, he just he was like, it's such a good story, and he plays him so well. It's like, yeah, but he doesn't play him better than the real dude, does he? Um, but there we are. All right, I'm going to go for Chappie as my disappointment, just because. Okay. I'm sure we all are such big District 9 fan and then Elysium eh, didn't really work like no. good ideas but for some reason it just didn't all hold together and then Chappie was that much worse I'm starting to fear that District 9 was a fluke and obviously his alien movie that he was going to do has been put on hold Yeah, you know we had him again on the podcast really lovely really smart really intelligent guy um but it just I don't know it, it was I found it quite painful to watch um, I found that the, the robot annoying. I found all the characters were annoying. Yeah. I think he made a real mistake casting um, De Antwoord, uh or have you pronounced it? I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. Yeah. Um, and then letting them pretty much play themselves. Uh, Hugh Jackman's role was just awful, I thought. 
I thought he acted it badly, but it was just such an unbelievable over-the-top character. Yeah. And it started off with a really interesting concept and then went nowhere interesting. It became a very by-the-numbers action film yeah. by the end. And, and, and doing stuff that we've seen him do better in Elysium and District 9 yeah. in terms of a bloody bloke in a mech suit again. That's the thing, I think, more with his films. Like, if you take out the fact that it is him and it's a District 9 guy the films could be like straight to DVD stuff, I think. Mm. Like Elysium, it's like, it seems like the more money he's given and the more like opportunity he's given to do something big with it, it, it feels like he should just strip it all back and go back to sort of like District 9, because District 9 is so good. Um, yeah. and because it's like controlled by this tiny budget that they had, and it's like it had to be like quite a strange story. Mm. But then, yeah, I don't know. I just, yeah, it didn't really work for me either. He needs to make District 10. Yeah. That'd be really good. <laughs> 